2: Hi, my name is Olivier Young, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Connectney. Hi, I'm Paul Holgren. Hi, I'm Matt Niskanen. Hey, I'm
0: Scott Lotton. Hi, I'm Joel Faraby.
2: Hi, it's Derek Grant. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You're listening to Snow the Goalie. Snow the Goalie. Snow the
0: Goalie. Snow the 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 Goalie.
1: Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. We are here to fill that orange and black void that has existed in your hearts and minds and souls for, what are we at, 42 days since the last time the Flyers took the ice. And while it might look like my co-host tonight, Anthony Sanfilippo, is dressed like Joe Exotic, the man who is joining us this evening, well, he just looks like a like a Greek god, Mike Knubel, ladies and gentlemen, number 22. In your programs, number one in our hearts. Mike, thank you for joining the program tonight.
2: Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's, like you said, 42 days. That's an awfully long time. It's getting long for everybody.
0: Yeah, it's, it's crazy, Mike, and I, I really appreciate you coming on. And, you know, this is a segment that we, you know, we started to do, um, we started last week with Brian Prop, um, and we're going to try and get a bunch of former uh, Flyers uh, Flyers alumni to come on during this hiatus, however long it lasts, uh, while we wait for hockey to come back. And it's a segment that we call 20 questions. And basically what it is, is we, you know, give an, give an opportunity to go through the career of a former player and uh, do it in the span of 20 questions and just have you guys, you know, talk about it and reminisce a a little bit and have a little bit of fun with it. So Good. we really appreciate you, you coming on and, and doing that. Um, I'm going to get it started right away because uh, we want to, you know, we appreciate your time. You know, you grew up in Grand Rapids, where you live now, uh, yes. or just outside Kentwood, right? It's a suburb of Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you, you played for your high school team there. Um, did you have an opportunity before you? I know you went to the NAHL. Did you have an opportunity to talk about ma- major junior or no?
2: Yeah, I mean, even why I played high school was I, I was actually thinking about going to Detroit, moving as a 15-year-old to Detroit. Detroit would be two hours, uh, you know, to the east here, but it would be, you know, i go to school and, and, and just, uh, I had a buddy that was going to do that too. And My father died that summer unexpectedly when I was turning 15, so it kind of made us stay home. And I actually was going to a pretty good public high school, and I think in the state of Michigan, you have Cranbrook, who's a private, another one, Liggett, which is in Detroit, which is private, and I think... Kentwood might be the only public school in the state of Michigan with its own rink on campus. And, um, so it was a pretty good setup. But we I knew we had some good players there. and My brother was a year younger, and it was just an easier setup. We could practice every day uh, right after school. You literally went out the back door of the school and across the parking lot, you were in the rink. So, And we had our own rink, our own locker room there. So it was a good setup there, but um, that's how I ended up there. And then going as far as playing, uh, After my junior year of high school, I played one year there. I could have gone. and played junior uh, in the North American League. Uh, They had drafted me. They owned kind of all the kids in our region. uh, Kalamazoo did, and so um, I deferred a year because my mom was like, "There's what kid goes away his senior year? Who does that? You know, who moves away for a?" It was just, it was just the three of us: uh, my mom, my brother, and I. So it was just kind of like we just deferred a year. But um, I knew I wanted to go to college. I didn't know I was going to play in college. I didn't know if I was going to ever get anywhere. My goal was to maybe be a walk-on somewhere, at, you know, at Western or Ferris or somewhere in the state of Michigan. I mean, I did i wasn't setting the bar very high high as far as my career, but uh, um, yeah, that's that's the path I chose, and I ended up going to Michigan. So,
0: what when did when did you first have an inkling that NHL scouts were interested in you? Obviously, you know, Detroit drafts you in the fourth round, um, but th- when did you first know? Was was it? Was it that year that you were in the NHL or no, It's was after that?
2: No, it was. It was. I think I, I think. I, you know, so if, if I was 17 playing high school, I was basically not on anybody's radar. I probably, I didn't even exist to a scout, uh, to a scout anywhere. So then, you know, probably, so then I made the, you know, I played the junior team as an 18-year-old. I think I was, I think I was passed over once. I think as 17-year-old, I was late, you know, like my birthday's in July. So I would have been 17. I would have been 18 before camp. Um, so I would, I, I would think I was passed over the first year. So then probably about, probably, I don't know, about third of the way, halfway through the year, you know, I was talking to colleges and I'd committed to Michigan in December of, of, of my year of junior hockey. So probably in like November or whatever. And they used to do a, uh, they would send you a, nobody had agents or anything. you didn't have agents. They just, they sent you a questionnaire. I remember getting it, it had the old, um, NHL logo, like the orange and black logo, and it was just a questionnaire and that kind of that might have shown up in October, November, and that's where they wanted your information and uh, uh, you know they wanted to know a lot more about you. Uh, and, and so I figured uh, that that's kind of when it all was starting, probably October, November of that year, and just filling out their questionnaire and stuff like that. So it started to get on, on the on the map a little bit.
0: Cool. So you so you spent you spent four years playing at University of Michigan. And we have we've had a lot of discussions on this program and even off, off air with players and, and coaches and scouts and stuff about the difference between junior hockey and college hockey. And 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 you know, back then I think it was it was a little bit different than it is now. I think the college game has come a long way. But how did playing college hockey kind of prepare you for the NHL in, in maybe in a way that you know that, that a lot of people don't think about? Uh, especially, you know, in an era when college hockey was just kind of starting to come into its own.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, so going to Michigan really helped. You know, when I committed there, probably probably really started to solidify draft status uh, a little bit that that year um, because it was showing that somebody was taking a risk on you. So, <laughs> the, you know, and, and it was Red Berenson, who was a highly, you know, he coached yeah. in the NHL. He was highly respected, uh, had, a, had a great NHL career and highly respected in the coaching circuit. He was coaching Michigan. I think in our league, we had Brian Ralston playing who ended up being, Uh I think he was like 10th overall that year. You know, I went like 76, another kid, Brian Holzinger, who ended up winning, winning the national um, or the Hobie Baker award. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Our senior year, uh, he was in our league. So we had a really good league um, uh, coming out there. So that probably really helped um, me get on the board for being drafted. Now, I needed the time and that's what college gave me was the time. I think, I mean, I was a bit of a project. I was a project entering the NHL. Every level I've gone to, every level I've been in, it's taken me a while. I've been a project all the way. Even if you look at my stats and my numbers through uh, my path like it's just every time it just took a little bit to get going you know and so um what I got at college was I was pretty young too I was pretty naive 18 19 years old I thought I knew a lot I didn't really didn't know too much <laughs> you know <laughs> and so I had to grow I grew up a lot you know I grew up a lot on the ice and I grew up a lot uh, off the ice too and I ended up having some real good buddies there we had a good time and I got a lot out of it I was a Michigan kid drafted to a Michigan team so it was really comfortable you know and really uh really like just just kind of step made my steps through the process but um i think i did i did have a chance to come out after my um uh junior year and uh actually the 94 lockout that nine, the lockout year wow. okay. was there and we had a really good team at ann arbor and i didn't want to go to Glens Falls. my minor pro team was in Glens falls new york uh, and i didn't really want to go there while well, my buddies were back in ann arbor we had good teams in ann arbor like we I mean, we ended up losing a the triple overtime in the national semifinal. But um, so we had good teams there. And I really didn't want to go to the minors. And like collective bargaining, you can get into it. And that's a whole nother show. Uh, collective <laughs> bargaining now. Collective bargaining agreement now versus then. And why, you know, and salary yeah. and stuff like that. And plus, I mean, they had eight or nine Hall of Famers in Detroit.
0: It was a tough lineup to crack. So I, yeah. I, ended, up,
2: I, I ended up staying my four years there. And uh, to this day, I don't regret it at all. It was the right thing for me.
0: That's awesome. It's funny as you mentioned Glens Falls. I mean, I was going to mention here leading into you know, your Detroit, your time with the Red Wings. Um, you played with the Adirondack Red Wings in in beautiful Glens Falls. The, the year of the lo- the year of the lockout, the twenty twelve lockout. Um, you know, I was employed by the Flyers at that point. I think you might remember. I think you were sure. on the was your last year when you came back. Yeah. Um, but they needed to find something for us to do. So t- t- Bundy did not want to do Phantoms games. So they sent me with. Tim Saunders, to be the color analyst <laughs> for for Phantoms broadcast. Wow. So it was hey. me and Saunders doing them up in beautiful – I basically lived in Glens Falls for a half a year. In Queensberry, I'm
2: sure. <laughs> Queensbury.
0: Yeah, yeah so. absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you, you spent about a year and a half with Adirondack, and then the Red Wings called you up. And this is – I wanted to ask you about this, Mike. This is, a great, this is a great thing. Your first NHL game was fight night at the Joe against yeah. Colorado, right? I mean yeah. – so, just give, I'm going to give the fans a quick backstory. Obviously, the year before game six between Colorado and Detroit, Claude Lemieux buries Chris Draper face first into the boards. He has to get reconstructive surgery. He had all kinds of facial fractures and broken jaw and everything else. And so I'm, I'm, I still remember Dino Cicerelli, you know, I, I can't believe I shook that guy's frigging hand. That pisses me right off was the famous quote. Um, and then next the next year they play three times and nothing really happens. But then the final time they play in the regular season is at Joe Lewis Arena and things go crazy. Was there – I want you to tell me about that game. Obviously it's your first NHL game. It's really memorable. But was there a, an expectation going into that game that – this that something was brewing something was going to happen at that point
2: well i was just nervous all oh, hell anyway just because <laughs> you know right it's it's my first uh first game regardless like you said they played like the week before i feel like out in colorado or something and nothing had happened like it was it was really quiet and then you know and i you know like so i guess the game started off there were a few fights like right away like even before this one like you know brett Severin fought like somebody Air ward maybe and there were a couple fights, like, uh, uh, so it was a pretty intense game anyway. And it was, and, and those two teams, they were just so many Hall of Famers on those two teams. They just beat the yeah. crap out of each other, which was great hockey. Like, if you're a hockey fan, like, watch, and, and now that everybody's got so much time on their hands. Like, if you can look up a couple of those playoff games, man, it was the year that uh, Detroit beat Philly in the finals, you know, in 97 it was it was uh like the the series before the final was just unbelievable hockey. So anyway, so they so I was going crazy and uh, uh on my own rights, you know, and then a couple of fights and then uh the game went 4-1 or something 4-2 uh for Colorado and then uh just kind of it was it was uh, Forsberg and uh and Igor Larionov kind of set everything off. They were you know, they were uh, they were scuffling around and scrumming and then just this, all this stuff started happening in the background, you know, and that's when the goalies came flying out, and Darren McCarty went after Claude Lemieux, like you, for what you had mentioned—the uh, the the you know having a long memory from what happened the year before in the playoffs when uh, Draper was blindsided. So um, certainly, it was just the absolute uh, mayhem, and Detroit came back to win the game, end up winning the game in overtime. And it's uh, it's it's funny you bring it up because every March 26, which was just a few weeks ago, you know, like it's everybody you know, it's just, it's, you know, you get that little ping on your phone. It's an anniversary date or on Twitter. It starts going crazy a little bit, but yeah. it certainly was uh it's a game. Even, even like you said, you can bring it up to the fans of Philadelphia. I'd be like, uh, you know, my first game, it was like that Philly and Ottawa game. Remember they had a few yes. like, years ago and they had yeah. a, a, a crazy uh, little shit show at the end there. But um <laughs> Yeah, for a bunch of penalty minutes, which was a really memorable flyer game. But this one was extremely memorable. I'm actually really proud of it to have it my first game because it was. Other than I wish I would have scored a goal or I had a good yeah. guess or something. But I uh, <laughs> got through it anyway, and it was certainly a memorable, memorable game. And uh, kind of uh, they all everybody tried to say this that that's what kind of propelled the team forward and really helped them get through the, the semis against them, too, you know.
0: Yeah, I was going to that was kind of my next question. And I was actually going to base it. Have you seen the movie The Russian Five? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So I like I I remember watching that in that documentary. And it was kind of like that in there was kind of talked about how that's what sparked the Red Wings, because they had gotten upset by the Devils in the finals two years earlier and then lost to Colorado the year before. And so like, it was that game that kind of sparked them to go on that two year run to win the back to back Cups.
2: Yeah, it's certainly. Uh, it, I mean, you want to talk about whipping a town into a frenzy and just creating an unbelievable rivalry, and um, it was great. And like, even a couple of years ago, I ended up going to uh, Denver with uh, the Red Wings and and the alumni. Detroit, and Colorado, were playing a stadium series game, and we got to play. They did an alumni game with all, all those guys, and and it was like it was it was it was pretty. It was really good hockey, and it was intense. It was great cause they just kind of put a bow on that whole little series. Even though I was a little bit player in that series, like in that whole thing, I mean, they got a lot of big names back and they had a lot of names on the ice and, and it was great. They just put a little, they wrapped that whole rivalry up like with a bow and treated us great. We had fun. Weather was great playing out in Coors field, you know, it's 70 degrees and middle of February. It was awesome. So, um, they did wrap it all up. And I mean, you look back at those rosters, they're just, they're just phenomenal hockey players on, on both sides. And so, um, yeah, that kind of propelled, you know, and obviously Detroit got Philly in the final there, ended up sweeping them and, um, you know, and we're able to do it again the following year. So it was, it was really like a, a stand up moment for probably the franchise to say, hey, we're going to go toe to toe with you guys. And, you know, you're not going to push us around and we have a chance to be in a, in a yeah. series. Yeah.
0: Um, so ninety seven, you only played the nine games. You didn't play in the playoffs. You were I'm sure you were one of the black aces, though I believe. Four black. 100. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the, the one thing I wanted to kind of um, ask you about because you were around that team, even though you were a, a bit player at that point, what was it like dealing with the limo accident with Konstantinov, yeah. and 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 how much of a motivation was that as far as the team playing for him heading into ninety eight as they went for the repeat?
2: Yeah, I know it was it was it was big, and actually we were all golfing that day. I actually played with those guys. It was Sergey Minatskhanov, who was the um, masseuse, and then uh, Vladi was in my cart. And I have a great picture. I cleaned out an old bag, and actually gave it to our trainer down here in Grand Rapids, and he put it up in his office. But it's a picture of us, all three of us piled into a golf cart, you know, and just uh, wow. Little did you know, like four or five hours later, you know, we stayed to to, you know, have some beers and eat and just kind of be with just with the guys, you know, because, I mean, we were literally probably two days into that um, carousing, you know, and so two or three days probably into that carousing. And then, um, you know, we all stayed by it, did the right things and got drivers. And nobody was, nobody was even thinking about trying to drive themselves around, no matter, regardless, There was no driving by anybody, you know. And so uh, whether they drink or not, it was just everybody's doing the right thing and being responsible. And, and, and then... You know, just a fluky thing, and those guys cut out early a little bit trying to get home or do whatever, and then, uh, you know, they have that accident. So it's certainly uh, really, if you want to, you know, much like this coronavirus kind of stopped society, that feeling of just the spigot being cut off. I mean, it certainly did that in Detroit uh, as far as that Stanley Cup. It was going to the hospital then and trying to figure out if these guys were even going to live and if they would even, uh, you know, what kind of life they are going to lead after. So uh, certainly everybody, it, it ended things a, a little bit quickly for sure. Um, uh, yeah. And then in the next year was the rallying uh, around those guys and, and really playing for something and, and uh, really having, having something to really um, drive the team forward the next day or next year and, and push them to the cup uh, in 98 as well.
0: So you got your, you got your name on the cup the second year, um, cause you played, played some playoff games, played almost like a half a season or a little bit more than half a season. Um, did you have your day with the cup? And if so, what did you do with it? Yeah,
2: I had a, like, for two times, you know, and got two rings out of all this and stuff. I name's only on it once, because you say, like, I, well, I made the team outright the next year, and I don't play <laughs> 50, 60 games, 55 games or something, but lots of healthy scratches. But, um, uh, yeah, no, we uh we, so we had it two times, man. It's like, it was getting tiring. Like, you have it two times in 12 months. It's kind of like, it's just it's a it's a it's a what it does to people and watching people just stop in their tracks and we had a jeep that we were hauling it around in and people are doing triple takes at the you know, at stop lights and you can't believe it and before cell phones and all that, but um yeah, we ring you know, you do straight try to do something productive. You know you're gonna party with it and stuff and you hold 17 and a half beers when you fill it all the way up so <laughs> you figure out how much beer you can get in there and, you know, everybody gets their pictures and you're drinking out of it. But, you know, I think we raised some money for that for my high school rank. We did a fundraiser there. And then I think we went twice to the Children's Hospital, to Boston Children's Hospital here in Grand Rapids. And, uh, you know, you take there for an hour. And, and, you know, they bring all the kids, as many kids as they can round up or can get around. You take it to the rooms where kids can't get out of bed. Uh, you hustle it around and, and try and get as many eyes to see it as you can, because it might be their only chance. Uh, uh, in your whole life. And right. so it's been kind of funny actually now, I mean, I get, you know, people take their newborn and put their newborn in there and, <laughs> and now those kids are like 25 years old They're coming back to me and they go, yeah, I was in the Stanley cup. My parents put me in the Stanley cup. And I have the picture, this is me in your Stanley cup, you know? And so stuff like that. It was just, uh, it was, uh, it, it's, you know, we raise some money, you eat out of it, you drink out of it, you pose. I mean, it's just, it is, uh, it is just a, it's just a, a Instant party. Plug it in and yeah. party starts. You, you know, said it it just yeah. it's just unbelievable.
0: Well, crazy. we saw that with Ovi.
2: Yeah, well, geez, yeah I,
0: know, right? I know.
1: You said it was, what, uh, 17 and a half beers? Beer 17 and, and a half, I think, is what it was. Yeah. So uh, yeah. what was your what was your choice of beverage oh, to put inside? Bud
2: Light and Bud Heavy, that was pretty much it back then. <laughs> okay. I, I know my, my father-in-law, he drink his Budweiser, so if he, if he had a case, it was his beer in there, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah then uh, a keg you just you know whatever light bud light or something i don't know what can you get a miller light bud light it wasn't that and insane back in the day
1: so if we transported yeah. to today what would you fill it with now oh what would i
2: fill it in well we're, we're, we're out in michigan man there's so much good beer i've got a more like uh the ipas but uh i like ipas oh yeah yeah like uh, you know founders is in our town here which drink yep. a lot of their beer which is good uh all the ipa which is good and then uh uh, Bell's is another one in Kalamazoo, which is a real good brewery too. And they make, Oh, now there's summer ones, Oberon. So Oberon or Bell's too hearted. Oh yeah. Too hearted.
0: Yeah.
1: Is too, there a kind really of beer good. you will too not drink. drink? What's that? Is there a kind of beer that you will not drink?
2: Uh, no, probably not. It's cold. <laughs>
1: okay.
2: You it's know, we, were, cold. we were having a last night. I pulled out some Stella and I was like, when did I have Stella? And I looked at the label; it was like expired in 2018. I was like, no, that's fine. <laughs> So, there's a there's I have a, like a, i have like a, a bar refrigerator you know like a true yeah. is the brand that's like you know it's the kinds you have at a bar i have it built into a bar in our basement and, uh, and so i can fit like 300 beers in there so you never know what's in there if you start craning your neck and looking in the back there's there's some crazy stuff so unfortunately right. corona's doing a number on my stock here we're running out
1: yeah but, there, um, there's a uh, a show now on netflix called bruise brothers and when they talk about stella the the pretentious brother comes in and he throws the Stella across the room and he says something to the effect of Stella's the most unoriginal beer in the world, which makes you the most unoriginal person in the world. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I
2: don't actually I even have the Stella glasses, you know, those really little, Yeah, oh yeah, I I got those for Christmas and um but
0: no, I'll drink it if it's cold. I'll drink it for sure. All right. <laughs> so after after your time, let's get back to the twenty questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. i like I like when Russ jumps in with his, yeah, with his yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so after uh, after your time in Detroit, you get traded to the Rangers. Um, they weren't very good. I think you were there a year and a year and a half. And then you were shipped to Boston, where it, there was plenty of coaching drama in your time in Boston. I believe that you played in five seasons for five different head coaches there, right? Pat Burns, Mike Keenan. Uh, with Lavi as an assistant that year, yeah. uh, Robbie Fatorik, uh, Mike O'Connell for a brief period after they fired Fatorik, and Mike Sullivan, who eventually sure. went on to win Stanley Cups with the Penguins. What was that carousel ride like?
2: Yeah, four coaches and a GM, right? I guess O'Connell was the GM at <laughs> that.
0: Movie. Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, no, it was. It was like, I got there, Pat Burns was there, and he was, you know, he was an unbelievable, you know, what a, you know, is he's, he's a legend, you know, and he's, yeah. he's just a character, right? So, you know, he didn't, I got traded there at the, toward the end, like a trade deadline. And then he only made it like eight or nine games the next, next year. Uh, uh, and then they brought in Mike Keenan real quick. And so he was around for about 75 games, you know, 70, 75 games. And got us right to the edge of playoffs and, uh, you know, he was, uh, his style of coaching is, uh, certainly different. I don't know. I don't know how it does today, but you know, like it's uh his motivation technique. So you learn a lot and you get pretty thick skin playing for that guy for sure. And, and then they didn't bring him back. And then, um, yeah, then Robbie came in, Robbie was there, then he got let go. We were out in uh, Arizona and he, they did it in the hotel parking lot. I remember that. And then, uh, yeah, then Mike coached us a little bit and, and then Sully came up. So it was, uh, yeah, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of uh a lot of changes there, a lot of guys coming through there. So um it, it would have been nice. Like I, I we had some we had some good teams. Like that that year before I came to Philadelphia, like we had an unbelievable team. We lost in the first round of Montreal and we were up three to one on them and we had some really good players. Like if you look at that roster and that was right before the salary cap started, right? So they just blew the mm-hmm. whole team. I think they kept Joe Thornton, PJ Axelson and Marty LaPointe. and that was pretty much about it. Maybe Nick mm-hmm. Boyd a real good player at that point, and, and and one goalie, but everything else blew up. But uh, certainly, there was there was never uh, the coaches. There was a lot of coaching going around there, um, a lot of changing all the time, and I don't know. I, I thought we had pretty good teams, and
0: you did, yeah,
2: uh, yeah, We had good teams on paper, but just didn't it just didn't click and stuff. So, but um, yeah, it was crazy. That's I, I, you got to play for some characters there for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I think it was Fatoric who put you with joe and uh, glenn murray right yeah uh,
2: i don't think he really wanted to i think i was the only thing left he scraped the <laughs> bottom of the barrel <laughs> and then uh, no, we'll try this guy see what happens you know and so uh uh yeah i know that was a break a career break a break of a lifetime playing with those guys and even so i had a real short like uh short leash with robbie like if those guys had gone a period and a half and they haven't scored it was like oops we are gone you know they try and put somebody else there but he always seemed to come back to me so i'm I'm happy in that respect. And we were real productive. And I kind of came out of nowhere and had like 30 goals playing with those guys. So like I said, yeah. it started a real nice uh, streak for me. And certainly as a player, if I was pigeonholed as one thing, I certainly fought my way out of it playing with those guys. I got my way out of I kind of changed my, uh, what people thought of me and that really – you know, I like to say it got me in about another 10 years. Now, you still had to play and produce and stuff, but I, I think it got me another 10 years in the league playing with those guys.
0: So before you get to Philadelphia – you actually, we have the lockout and you went and played in Sweden, played in the Swedish elite league. Um, I guess, how do you, what do you compare that to? Is that compared to the AHL? Is it a little bit better than the AHL, but not quite the NHL? And how was spending a year in Sweden? Yeah, I was uh,
2: just, just a little background. A guy who he was, uh, he's from Ann Arbor. He was a senior at Michigan where I was a freshman. He went over there and played and they basically assimilated and then he ended up running the team. So that was the connection. brought Brendan Morrison oh, okay. guy, uh, over there to go play. Uh, and that was kind of the connection he was running the team and brought us over so um, oh it was good it's very um, it's just a, you know it's a tighter lead there's no you know we flew we flew we fly but it was we bust to Stockholm and then fly up to the Arctic Circle and go play up there uh, we chartered once we chartered you know with the gear in the back pretty much you know you throw your gear in the back those uh, what are they call turboprop planes uh-huh. you fly out to moto and uh, some of these weird places but um you know it was very we didn't spend a lot of nights in the hotel not much at all if you sometimes if you go up north it was just like a day trip real fast and um you're home a lot it was a little bit it's for sure a slower pace of life there and feels like kind of like coronavirus-ish like it's kind of like uh just real quiet and slower and stuff for hockey uh hard part was hard part was like looking having one foot back here and one foot over there because you're just kept waiting for this lockout to end so it was like you're you know, you click on your computer in the morning and you were so excited that if Gary and uh, Bob Goodenow had spoken the day before and you're like, okay, what happened, you know, and are we going back? Are we going back? And 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 that's what, I thought that was a little bit different. It'd be one thing if you went over there as a player to Europe and that was your only gig and that was, you were there for the year, it'd be really easy to do. You just bring your wife, your family, your kids and go, you know, but we always are kind of, couldn't make real plans because we didn't know, the team didn't know if we were going to be there, you know, and stuff like that. So it was all this... Back and forth, not knowing whether you're going to leave and stuff like that. So, um, but overall, it's kind of a real giant pain in everybody's rear end. And but it was worth it, and kind of stunk too. I'd sign my best contract in Philadelphia, and you kind of learn how much money your kind of mind starts to think, and how much money you're losing every day and stuff like that. <laughs> contract, just watching that this contract you just want to get at, you know, and get playing and go to Philadelphia and play, and you just watching it just shrivel down. It really just kind of. That was hard in that respect. It would have been better, been much better to be unsigned during those lockouts because then you never knew how much money you are going
0: to lose, I guess. Right, right. Well, f- finally, hockey does come back. And the Flyers, they were a real cup contender prior to the lockout. I mean, they went to the conference finals against Tampa in Game 7 uh, in 04, um, and they did that with Sammy Kapanen having to play defense. That's how depleted the defense was on that team. But uh, coming back out of the lockout, they bring in you. They bring in Forsberg. They bring in Darian Hatcher, Mike Rathje. And then immediately, Hitch, uh, Ken Hitchcock puts you with uh, with Peter and Simone Gagne, and you guys were like unstoppable. You know, you call the Deuce's Wild Line, which I came up with the name. Thank you. <laughs> um, All right. But uh, but of you course. go from, play, course, you go from, from playing for you go from playing with Thornton to playing with Peter. I guess that makes for a smooth transition with a new team, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I guess and and that might that experiment. You know, if they are going to put you with Peter might not ever happen if you don't get the chance with Joe, you know, And right. so I kind of had a little bit of a, I had, I had proven myself in that respect, uh, you know, the years prior, which is great, you know? So yeah, but to uh, play with, uh, you know, to come in and, and I think, it, you know, they started Jeff Carter there with those guys, which is fine. You know, they're going to experiment and Hitch is hitch didn't know me. I probably, you know, I'm not like the most exciting player probably for him. I'm just kind of like, you know, you know, I'm just kind of a bigger guy and plugged up and down my wing and, you Know he's gonna put somebody with those guys that is a little bit sexier, a little bit, but um, so I got to go with them and then we, we played well right away. And so, um, yeah, it was great. That was that was a really fun year of hockey playing with those two. And um, I know we made the playoffs that year, but you know, and I think Peter did well, Simone did well, um, I did well. The team we
0: made playoffs, I think,
2: was that the year when we found out, yeah, we were on Long Island or something in New Jersey. Yep. was down four-one in Montreal.
0: And came back and won, and then you end yeah, up having to play like Buffalo. Yeah, the final yep. game. Yep.
2: <laughs> and then it kind of changed our whole thing. We ended up getting Buffalo. Buffalo. Years right? Got my years right. yep. correct. Um, and, and then um, yeah, I don't know. Somehow we lost to Buffalo. I don't. Know. I didn't think we should have. But uh, uh, yeah, no, it was it was a good year of hockey though. It was that was a good year. That was that was a good. I had fun. Well,
0: well, my my perspective, and I think that this in looking back on it, you know, you, you sit there and say maybe one of the things that the Flyers did not assimilate really well to right away was how the game was going to change coming out of the lockout a with the, with the salary cap. Right. I mean that they used to just pay for their mistakes, cover the mistakes with Ed Snyder's money. Um, and then secondly, the game got a little faster, smaller and faster. And so bigger guys, when you brought in guys like Hatcher and Rathji, maybe they didn't have the kind of impact that you expected them to have pre-lockout. Right. So I think that that leads you to 06, 07, which is arguably the worst season in flyers history. Um, You know, Hitchcock gets fired, Clark resigns, quote unquote, um, and replaced with Homer and John Stevens. Um, But you got off to a great start that year. I think you were you were on pace for, you know, career highs and goals and uh, and points. Uh, And then you had that real nasty collision with Shanahan at at Madison Square Garden. And I can still remember because at the time the, the media sat right behind the goal. In MSG, not like they do now. top, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and I remember when when I saw it, it looked like it was far worse of a deal for Shani than it was for you. And it ends up he comes back before you did. Can yeah, you talk us through the, that? What that was like?
2: Yeah, that was like yeah. If you Google, I think if at Google that's the first thing that pops up is this collision, you know? Because yeah, me running into Shani. But uh, yeah, I know it's you know, and I like I, I told I mentioned it before. Like I I remember like Johnny telling that me that I was up on the bench, and I don't know uh, if it was. If I got on five seconds later, 30 seconds later, I don't know how long it was. I was on the ice, you know, and then uh, to see the the collision, you know, Shannon and I just didn't see each other. And we we're crisscrossing. He's trying to build speed and get up the ice. And I'm kind of moving to the middle where the puck's going. He's kind of swinging away from it. We just collide and top i think crown of his head, you know, hit me right, uh, right around my uh, right, right, right orbital here. And so I'm kind of broke that and I put a plate up here and a plate down here and, you know, uh, did a number on both of us, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's, it was just, I think sooner or later you play enough games, your number comes up a little bit every once in a while like that. It doesn't, you know, I can watch a video. I know some people are like, I can't watch that video. It creeps me out, but you know, it's just, I I watch it it, and I've seen it many times. It doesn't bother me. It was an accident on the ice and it was uh, just me being a little, you know, I guess both of us were just trying to play quick and just ran into each other and it happened. So, um, it's funny though, like seemed like after that, I noticed myself like almost running into people a lot more, uh, after that happened. And I don't, I don't know why that was, maybe it was always that way. And I just never really, uh, hit, the, you know, we just didn't really hit, you know, catch every, each other square, but there's times, man, I, even later on, I was like, noticing, I was like, geez, I almost ran into that guy too, but a little bit klutzy on the ice, but um, certainly, yeah, I played, uh, came back, played the last 10 games a year with a full shield on or something. And uh, and Shannon was uh, messed up a little bit too, but uh, you know, we've seen each other since. And you just kind of laugh about it, and you know, it was an accident. It was a yeah. lot of beef, a lot of beef smacking, a lot of beef coming together, Also, pretty heavy.
0: Um, so coming off of that year, though, Homer Homer turns it around quick. I mean, he trades for Coburn and, and Marty Buran at the deadline of 07. Then he trades for the rights for T- uh, Kimo and, and Scotty Hartnell and then signs them in June before the the, the uh, before July 1. And then he signs Briere as a free agent on July 1. Uh, he brought in, I mean, a, a quiet leader, a lot of people, were the forgotten captain and Jason Smith. And he had that one year as captain of the Flyers. Um, and suddenly the team was good again in 07 08. What do you remember about that team and the turnaround and how it kind of meshed together really quickly?
2: Well, the, o- the o- 05 6 team where we lost to Buffalo that's when, and you brought it up earlier in your thing about like the Hatchers and Ratchies. Like don't like Hatchers, a very Hatcher and, Ra, ha, and Ratchie were really good defensemen. Like don't, even yeah. though everybody thinks they're big and slow, they were really good defensemen and they were smart as as any d mens ever were, whoever played this game, you know, and they're really, really smart guys. They both kind of, Hatch's, Hatch's knees got bad. Ratchie had that um, like a nerve or something that went bad on his back and I think he still had a lot of hockey in him and he was just steady. at and, and so Bobby had switched to that 06, 07 team. He signed a couple guys that were a little smaller. He felt like the league was getting quicker and smaller. The big guys couldn't do it. So he went away for, to, to sign some different guys. That didn't pan out. And then, like you said, he stepped down and then uh, Homer came in and made a pretty good splash there uh, and re-upped the team there pretty quick. So I don't know who – I don't remember who would have left uh, to create because, I mean – to Sign all those guys, you needed salary cap room, um, right? So I don't know. I don't know if they put like Hatch on long term IR or you must have gone, yeah. They had to free up all that money, you know, because they had to pay chemo, they had to pay Hartnell, they had to pay Danny, they had to pay all these guys in the cap. I mean, if we started it, I think our first year out, the cap was what 39 41 39 and, 30 and 39, 39 and 05, we yeah. Came out, yeah. So conservatively, it was 45 40, maybe, 40, yeah, mid 40s, mid to high 40s. Yeah. And, you had to have some money to sign those guys. So, um, yeah, but it, it was fun. Like we turned, we, we turned the team, you know, Danny and uh, Scott Gomez were the big free agents and I think New York got one and Philly got the other pretty much. And so, uh, and, and they, I'm sure they were both were going for both of them and they, they, they just filtered out to where they, where they went. And, uh, certainly it was pretty exciting, uh, time, you know, there's a lot of new players there and kind of the flyers became like a veteran team again. Uh, you know, and then you're complemented with the Upshawls and the, you know, Hartnell's still a young guy and Mike Richards and Jeff Carters and, and those guys. So it was kind of in Coburn, like you said, he was brought in. He was really young. And uh, so it was kind of like yeah, we had a nice blend between some real good experience and some real up and coming good young players.
0: Now, you had been in the NHL for a decade and you were a pretty accomplished goal scorer at this point. But you had never accomplished something right. until February 2nd, 2008 against Anaheim. I want to tell everyone what that was? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Hat trick, finally, yeah. <laughs>
2: so, yeah. I mean, I mean, even even when I was in Boston, I, I I set an NHL record, right, for fastest two goals from the start of a game. Two goals right. in the first 27 seconds by one player, right? So I thought for sure I was getting a hat trick that day, but I didn't do anything. <laughs> the rest of the 59 other minutes was pretty quiet. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, like, I know, like, yeah, I remember that. Like, we beat uh, Anaheim 3 0 and had all three, and yeah, to have to have you know and one was probably a little bit questionable now I think Hatch and I were both stabbing at the goalie or something they gave it to me so I was kind of quietly happy they did give it to me and not give it to Hatch and Hatch was he didn't care he was like whatever you know but, <laughs> so but anyway it was uh yeah so it was that was certainly a, a big thrill one the only one I had you know I probably had I don't know 20 or so two goal games but you know like you say you think you'd stumble onto a hat trick every once in a while you know but that was the only one i kind of backed my way into but it was uh, yeah certainly memorable anyway anaheim i remember so
1: yeah how yeah. much does that hey, weigh on your mind when ahead, you, when you have two already to your name in a game how how much do you really you know start to to clench the stick a little bit harder to get that yeah. like, that third goal yeah you
2: can yeah you can you know you feel like uh uh you know, or or, or sometimes feel like, yeah, I've done enough tonight. I can just make sure I finish with a good, strong game. I don't have to do too much anymore. If the teams went and you kind of take it down a year or two. But um, yeah, you always like to. Nobody's going to nobody's ever not going to want to have a hat trick. It's always special, especially at the NHL level. Uh, any level is great, but the NHL level especially. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know if he's yeah, it's kind of like gambling. It's like, all right, yeah, the dice are going my way tonight or the cards are coming to me, you know, I'm just going to keep betting. And also same with the uh, scoring goals. Some nights, some nights you're like, man, puck's finding me, you know, it's it's just going to find me tonight, you know? So uh, yeah, you just hope and keep hoping and, you know, look over the coach. Hopefully he recognizes you have two goals and he keeps spitting you out there, especially if you're like a six on five and you have five and they have six and maybe you can snivel out a hat trick with an empty netter or something like that. It's always
0: a good one too. <laughs> Yeah. Now, your biggest goal as a flyer had to be a couple months later, game four, Eastern Conference quarterfinals against Washington. They were favored. Obviously, they were a higher seed. Double overtime in front of the home crowd. T- can you take us through that? I mean, I, re- I remember that the whole the whole play of the style of play leading up to the goal was pretty intense at that point. And then you guys had some really good pressure and, and then you eventually got the the game winner.
1: I'm actually going to play it here on the, uh, the video feed for those oh, who or- are were watching as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know
2: it was, yeah, it was it was around the net for a while, if I remember right, you know, it was around the net and just kind of uh grinding it out and kind of kicking it around. Like it, you know, the fans were probably like, something's gonna happen here. Hopefully something's gonna happen. I think I think it made a real good stop on me the first one too. And I was mm-hmm. like, ooh, I I remember thinking, ah man, that one should have gone in. I was like, oh man he missed it. But then it uh like came right back to my tape. I like I he stopped one and it came right back to my stick blade and I was able to scoop it up and over him. So, um, yeah, it's certainly, I don't know if we went up three, one or something in the series. Yep. So yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, they ended up taking us to seven there a bit and I ended up like pulling a hamstring or something. Uh, the next game, uh, Mike Green faked a shot. And I kind of bit and caught my heel and the heel picked in the ice and kind of tweaked a hamstring. But, uh, um, certainly was, uh, yeah, a really fun moment for me, especially as at home is a really good moment. And, yeah, I enjoyed I remember that one and got somebody made a nice little framed up picture thing with a game card from that and a puck and, and like the moment caught on film, you know, the snapshot of it. So, you know,
0: Ovi standing there and right next to me. and Yeah. Told-
2: Head back, his head's kinda of back in the air.
0: Well so, oh, he over like, he overcommitted. He overcommitted. Yeah. He was supposed to stay with you and he overcommitted and you yeah, left yeah. you open. Yeah. I actually wanna I wanna play yeah. it really
1: quickly with uh with the audio for those who aren't gonna be able to watch the show and are listening on the podcast feed. I just want them to have the, the moment to go back and, and listen and, and live that moment. Sure, go ahead, Ron.
0: Scotty Upshaw, back up UA Center one on the doorstep, Carter what a chance stop by UA. Yeah, that was a pretty. That was a pretty cool game. that was a that was a pretty cool year. I mean, because we we were so just down the year before, man, just covering the worst team in hockey, and yeah. then all of a sudden you guys were good again, and then to you know to you know have the, the that series against Washington was just awesome. Uh, yeah. the, the go seven games, you had the one overtime winner. Lupo had the other one in Game Seven down in yeah. D.C. Um, that was it. Was just really cool. Uh, and I was you had mentioned that you had gotten hurt. Um, You said just a hamstring tweak, but I think I think it was reported that you actually tore your hamstring. Right. And um, I think you missed five playoff games. I want to say you came back. You got the empty netter to seal the series against Montreal um, in the conference semis. But you were playing through the injury and wasn't just you. There were other guys who were pretty banged up. And then you lose chemo early against Pittsburgh. And I, I guess there just wasn't enough. There just wasn't enough to compete with them at that point. Right.
2: Yeah, I remember now. It's coming back to me a little bit. I should have had some notes and refresh my uh, memory there. But yeah, so we went on to Montreal, Is that what we did next week. Yeah, oh yeah, and then uh, and then so was the conference final with Pitt. Or that's right. What, yeah, the conference final. Yeah, and I remember. You know, Kimo was playing some great hockey, and uh, he he was you know you kind of think of him um, as kind of an offensive guy, quarterback in the power play, but he was really like a good defender and like could really, uh, knew how to frustrate pretty good players and like stay real close to guys, real tight gaps would never let them get loose. And so you needed that against the Sydney Crosby's and the Malkins. You needed, uh, uh, guys like him. And he was a big hole. I, that might've later us a little bit knowing that he was going to be out. Um, I forget what he did too. He was injured for something. And, um, but and
0: Coburn got hurt. Coburn got hurt too. Yeah,
2: yeah. So if they, uh, if you lose chemo and Braden, yeah. yeah, you're starting to get pretty thin quickly. You're going to American League guys or whatever. So um, yeah, yeah. It's probably just there's too many. They had too much, uh, you know, too many horses going for us to handle at that point. But.
0: I got three more for you, Mike. Um, a- after the next season, you're then a free agent again. So I want you to take us back to July first, two thousand nine. You signed with Washington. Was there ever a thought at that point of coming back to the flyers or was there conversation then, or how did it play out that you ended up not coming back here and going to Washington?
2: Oh yeah. When we, when we lost out there in the playoffs, it might've been what, if it was May, early May or something like that, Yeah, you know? And so we had kids at school and I wasn't there at school till after father's day. So like we had no, we are, we weren't going anywhere, you know? And so I was still going, you know, and I wanted to come back and Homer wanted to have me back. And, you know, whatever salary I was making then he didn't, you know, I probably would have taken a little bit less, but really he had to, he had to, I think he had to resign Richie and Jeff Carter and he had to make his own decisions, you know, about um, keeping the younger guys. And, you know, he had signed probably a number of the younger guys and and they were doing nice contracts. And then, you know, so at the end of the day, there just probably wasn't enough money for me. I could take a little bit of a discount, but I wasn't going to take too much, you know, Um, you know, and it was, you know, it was, we were so comfortable in New Jersey and Haddonfield where we lived and stuff. I didn't want to go, he didn't want to leave, you know, and it's just, you know, the cap wasn't going up and, and, you know, here I am 36 or 37. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna pay the 22, 23 year olds who are going to be with him for a long time. So, um, so anyway, yeah. So, I mean, we would, you know, I'd work out in the weight room and then, his office is always right by the weight room. He always poked his head in there and give me a y'all come see me when you're done, you know? And so I enjoyed that. Like Homer was really good. Like we had a lot of just little conversations and always kind of dancing around it, I guess a little bit. But, um, I, he, you know, he always made the point about how much, you know, I really wanted to stay and, and, and he did too. And at the, at the end of the day, he just couldn't allocate the dollars. And Like I say, pre cap days, it's a non-issue, you know, right. Just gonna, what do you need? Okay. You're in, you know? So, um but, but there he had to allocate his dollars, and yeah, and that's what he had to do. That's what a responsible GM had to do, and that's what he had to do. So, um, yeah, going on. So, yeah, I mean, literally, it was we were just pulling back to Grand Rapids. I think for some reason we stayed in Philly even longer. There must have been something. It was like, I forget. Oh, we had to go to a wedding. That's what it was. We had to go to a wedding on Long Island. That's what it was. Yeah. And then they got pronger, right? They got pronger. Yeah. Then I knew yeah. I was really done. Yeah. So, like a week <clears throat> we were up in uh, Montauk at a wedding. On the beach, and then uh, uh, th- uh, came across the phone that uh, the Flyers had negotiated to get uh, Pronger, and then I was like, "Okay, any kind of money's going to that guy." Yeah, he signed immediately <laughs> yeah. for like a forty-two million dollar deal, or six years for forty-two. Where I was like, "Oh, well, that about finishes any question." You know, I was kind of had maybe right. eleventh hour something might happen. They might decide to really get down to it and make me an offer, but um yeah they brought in uh, pronger and then i knew i was like "Ooh, yeah so that's why we ended up completely so anyway I committed like washington in our driveway with a moving truck and everything it was just moving into a new house back here in michigan this house we're in now and um it was uh yeah a little bit crazy for sure so
0: Now you had a few cracks at it with the caps, but they, I mean, they never got over that playoff hump despite, you know, they always had good regular, season. you guys always had good regular seasons in Washington and whatever, whatever, for whatever reason, each of the years you were there just kind of, you know, got bounced in the playoffs. Then the lockout happens and you know, you're a 40 year old free agent. You're talking about being a free agent during a lockout. It happened when you were 40, as opposed to when you were, (laughs) you know, uh, 30, 30 years old. Um, you could have hung them up, but you. you know, I know you were. I remember you were working out with Grand Rapids in the AHL. I think you even yeah. played a game for them. Yeah. But what, what was it that brought you back to the Flyers for one final season in a shortened season with a team that really wasn't, you know, a playoff team.
2: Yeah, no, it was, I mean, like you said, we talked about the lockout before, and I went to Sweden, and hauled everybody, but as a 40-year-old guy, we're not doing that anymore, you know, Um, kids are getting into school here, you kind of know you're getting toward the end of your rope here, uh, as far as your career, and so, um, like you said, I had a great, great connection here in Grand Rapids with Jeff Blaschel, who's now the Red Wings head coach, and he was coaching here in Grand Rapids just come out and skate, you know, and I didn't want to take anybody's job. Like, I guess I would have been entitled to sign with Grand Rapids, but I'm like, no, I'm considering myself an NHL player. It's not fair to them. And they have their young guys, you know, Thomas Tatar was there and Gustav Nyquist and Brennan uh, Smith and Peter Morazik you know, all these guys are now in the NHL, you know, they were, they were there because they were locked out. Um, uh and doing their stuff. So it was a great opportunity to practice. So once the lockout was settled, I went to camp with Detroit, actually. I talked my way into, or my agent talked uh, my way into, give me uh, a week time. Uh, the camps were a week long there. And I knew I wasn't going to make Detroit. They had thought about their lineup uh, for, you know, 10 months prior, you know, so they knew what their lineup was going to be. Uh, so anyway, so I got released from there, like on Saturday morning and uh, um, signed Monday on a Monday with the Griffins played wednesday with the griffin's and on my way home wednesday night my agent calls i they figure he's just checking on me and how i did during the game and stuff but it's uh he said hey uh paul Unger just called me he wants you to, they want to talk to you like now and they want you to sign tomorrow and i'm like what <laughs> you know, <laughs> <just like, laughs> you know it's just like i kind of had this plan in place and i was coming to terms and everything i thought maybe i'd play for i thought maybe i'd play a couple weeks in grand rapids like i heard jersey was coming to watch or something and and uh, I figured I'd play a couple of weeks in Grand Rapids and teams with a compressed schedule and injuries. And they other like, oh, well, this young guy's not ready. We thought these young guys were ready. They're not ready. We need a guy. Oh, let's go get him. He's playing. Um, so, uh, uh, so, anyway, so Homer so Homer is uh, wanting to talk. And now my mind's spinning. And my wife and I, we had this plan. So we're figuring out what we're going to do. And I mean, literally, I remember I was standing at my wife's parents' house on their lake shoveling because the kids want to skate or something in the afternoon. I'm standing there with a cell phone and a shovel in a hand in the middle of the lake, like shoveling as a pushing snow with one hand, talking to Paul. He's like, I need an answer. Like I need an answer in an hour. I'm like, I don't even know where my wife is Homer. Like I'm trying to talk to her. And it's like, so anyway, so we decided finally, and it was, you know, we weren't going to take everybody. And I just went on my own. And we always went as a family wherever we went and that's the way we like to do it. And I wasn't quite comfortable with that, but it is what it is. And it was, it was kind of a weird, it was certainly a weird time, um, to go, to go do this. So, so anyway, so I committed to Homer that Thursday on, at night, that evening, you know, like this time of the night committed and I was on a plane like at six in the morning to go to Philly to go get uh, medical, um, go to the rink, get, get me a doctor, go see the doctor and then catch. They had like a one o'clock flight to Florida or something. So then literally just, and then hustled. I think Brian Hardenberg took me to uh, the airport or whatever and, and dropped me, you know, took me to the plane and, literally walking down the aisle of the plane, shaking, you know, some guys, you, you know, you knew all the staff and stuff and everybody's like, Hey, well, welcome back. You know, we heard you And stuff. And then the new guys, you just like, you know, you're literally introducing yourself on the plane. So, uh, it was kind of a blend, you know, they, they was so comfortable coming back. So many, there were different players there and stuff, but at the end of the day, the staff was the same. It was like, you knew where you're going, you knew where the building was, you knew how to get to the rink, you knew the ins and outs of everything. You knew where the plane was like, it's, it was like getting back on the horse again, you know? So, uh, it was great. It was, it was a great closure. I think like toward the end, you know, like I played, you know, like Larry Peter was only playing, he played me, I don't know. He kind of played me once every three games kind of stuff. So, you know, I played two out of four or three of five, stuff like, stuff like that. Um, but uh, you know, at the toward the end, Homer and I were starting, you know, we were talking, he's like, Hey, you can still play. Like if you want to come in and you can still play. And I said, you know what, Homer, probably everybody's back in Michigan. It's, I, I'm not going to separate you that or am I going to ask him to move back here again because it's kind of like they're getting set in their hockey my boys were playing their youth hockey and setting hockey right Everybody's loving their school like everything was going going smooth uh the fact that there was a lock out there kind of kicked us out of the cycle a little bit if I look back at it but anyway he's like you know sweet. So he's you know he's like if you want to play you can play we'll figure it out and I'm like well I don't know I don't know so um that was great. I, it was great. I loved it. I, I, it was a great way to wrap up my career. I'm very happy I did it. I would regret it to the state if I did not do that with Philadelphia. I would regret it.
1: I had one issue with your return to town, and yeah. I I need to know if I should blame Luke Shen or not. Something about you wearing the number nine was yeah. just so strange to me. And and look, I know, the last season you played 28 games with the team, but when you came back, I was like, Luke Shen's got to give up 22. And I know that he was young and, you know, uh, whatever. Was there ever a conversation with Luke Shen about getting your number 22 back for the remainder not of that one. season? Not one. Not one.
2: <laughs> um, I didn't think, not even like joking or anything. He <laughs> would even say, hey, you know, it's just going to be a Rolex or something, you know, if you want this, you know, and I, not even one conversation. He might not even have known I was 22 before, but um yeah, no, and I wasn't gonna give him too much for it either. But uh, I wore nine that year. I always liked the, the way nine looked, and obviously Scotty Upshaw was nine when when the first time through. Uh, my son was wearing nine um, uh, back in Michigan for whatever team he was, you know, on his uh, on his Pee Wee major team. He was wearing number nine, so I said, I said I will wear your number nine. It was you know, the kids That's cool. Uh, the families, have said, you know, families have said Dad's gonna go away. Why? Why is Dad going away? You know, and stuff. And so uh, I said, well, I'd try to bargain with him a little bit, I guess. But (laughs) I said, I'll wear your number instead of you you ever wearing mine. I'll wear your number. And so uh, I wore his number. And then, um, yeah, no, but nine. I liked I actually liked it. I liked how it looks on the back of the jersey. So I don't know. I I, I was kind of partial to it for some reason.
0: That's cool. You know, I always thought – this is my last one. uh, I always thought that when you (laughs) retired, you would either go into coaching or broadcasting.
2: Yeah. You chose coaching.
0: Uh, you're an assistant coach with Grand Rapids Griffins in the AHL. Um, so I guess it's a two part question. One, how are you enjoying being a coach in, in the AHL in the AHL? And secondly, did you ever think about the broadcasting side of things? Yeah, I well, I guess a couple of things. So when you retire, when you retire, you're like.
2: Um, you're like, okay, what am I gonna do now? Then after a little bit, you're like, okay, what am, what am I gonna do now? You know, figure out what I'm gonna do. So it kind of started with. So Jeff Lashaw was still there. Um, I knew I knew from being around the coach. Like, he kind of let me dabble, but then as I learned, I'm like, wow, you guys work really hard. Like it's eighty hour weeks, you know. And I'm like, well, I kind of like taking my kids to the ring. I like my flexibility and my freedom. I like going to practice with them, like helping coach their teams. I like the I like to be able to. Call my shots a little bit more. I like to be around the house a lot, so I was kind of like, well, how am I going to do this part time? So Detroit's kind of worked with me where I can do this part time. I, I could, you know, uh, Ron Hextall offered me a job right when I retired uh, to do player development for the Flyers. I said, well, that's a lot of time, you know, away on the weekends. Every every prospect plays Friday and Saturday nights, so you're gone every week, you know, all weekends and stuff like that. Like, you know, I enjoyed. I like to be at home and stuff and going to the games and taking my kids to games and stuff. So this thing in Grand Rapids where the rink is literally three miles away, it's like it's like right in my backyard. So um, I've, I, I keep my little part-time thing. I don't do the heavy lifting. They have always two full-time guys that do the heavy lifting, like a lot of video work and, and crunching computers and stuff. But um, so, so I, I kind of come in and breeze. I'm like a consultant a little bit. Um, the coaches that have come through there, Jeff Blaschel, Todd Nelson's in Dallas uh, with the Dallas Stars, and then uh, Ben Simon, who's there now, are, are, are great guys and assistant coaches that have been through and kind of seeing the, 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 the process of how you build teams and how you build prospects and how you develop prospects is really, really good. And like I say, it's right in my backyard. And, and when my young guy, my young guy Cole, is, is 15, he's going to be turning 16, so maybe when he ages up here a little bit, I might get into it. But I do have a lot of respect for the job that's why you don't see a ton of players you do see some players coaching but some try it and they're like oh this is a lot of work it's actually a lot of work if you're coaching so and then a the broadcasting i don't know it's kind of my face is uh, i don't know but it would have been good <laughs> it would have been good i mean yeah you know and those are things too those guys work really hard you know and it's a lot it's a big commitment to be in broadcasting and it's not it, it, it's nice like for guys like chris terry and when it's in your backyard and it's just down the road or for our guys to do it in Detroit, you know, it's literally just downtown. That's, that's a pretty nice gig. You know, we don't, I mean, we don't have much, you know, we don't have much here in that respect. And, and they have their guys, you know, they have their legends of Detroit. that do the broadcasts there just like Bundy's kind of a legend in Philadelphia, you know, but uh, like I said, and you can see what uh, uh, Boucher's done. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fabulous what those guys have done. And part of that is proximity where they are on the East coast, but at the end of the day, they do a great job and. and I'm sure if you ask them, like they work really hard at it. And I'm sure Boucher, I mean, he works just as hard at that. And, and Bundy too, at, at, at knowing things and you got to be ready to talk about things and stuff. There's a lot of homework there. So it's, I, at least I do understand that. I don't think those guys are good at making it look easy and it's not an easy job.
1: I want one final thing on, on my end, since Anthony asked you 7,000 questions. <laughs> I want you to fantasy book for us. It's the end of a game. You get one last shift. You get to build the line. You get to choose your line mates. You get to choose your defenseman behind you in support. Who, Who is the uh, the, the lineup that you end up playing with in that final shift?
2: So five guys in my career, five guys in a goalie in my whole career. Yep. That I play with in a game.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can be most talented. It could be guys that you felt the most comfortable playing with that just kind of yeah. knew the ins and outs of your game, however you want to do it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I guess, yeah. So up, for, up front, it would be yeah, Peter, probably, because I'd like to score a goal there. Uh, and either Joe or Ovi, because they're really they're good, would be fun to play with. On defense, I'd probably go I go Hatch. I like uh, Hatch. I like playing. I always thought Hatch was a really good player. Um, um, you know who else I like? I like to play with Brian Burrard. I played, oh, with, I played with Brian okay. in uh, in uh, Boston, and this is back after, you know, after the, injury, in the eye, right? after the injury. Yeah. You know, I always had a lot of respect for him in that, that he, you know, he decided to, you know, he could have walked away, but he wanted to play, he gave back the disability insurance and played for relatively peanuts, really, um, for probably, probably could have made more money just sitting on his disability, but wanted to come back. But I like playing with that guy because there's, something was always going to happen. It was either good or bad, but something was happening. <laughs> like it was going one way or the other way. So it was always something, uh, always something to, that uh, – that, uh,
0: And who would be your goalie?
2: Yeah, yeah, I guess. Who am I you know, I goalie? Uh, you know, I liked playing with Robert Ash. Robert Ash was such a competitor. He Man. was uh, – you know, Robert was a, good, a great competitor. You know, Andrew Raycroft was another guy in, in Boston who I liked in Nets too. uh You know, but uh, yeah, Robert, he was just, you know, I mean, he just he was just a guy's guy and he played hard and competed his ass off and he just would battle and he he'd go through a wall for you. So I think uh, I like I like him in gold, too.
0: Awesome. Well, Mike, listen, we really appreciate you taking as much time as you did. This was really, really awesome. Uh, thanks so much. Best of luck to you. Um, uh, your, your older son's playing in USHL, right? Yeah, he played yeah. this year, right? He was in the USHL.
2: Yeah, in Muskegon. Probably going to head back there. Who knows how all this junior hockey is going to shake yeah. out. You know if teams are going to fold or what. And, and then uh, my daughter's going to be a freshman at Michigan State. And mm. then my young guy oh. is a freshman, rising sophomore. So.
0: Well, your daughter's going to Michigan State. That's got to yeah. be tough for you, huh? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah. She's down the road, so it's uh, it's great for her. She wants to be a teacher. And, uh, awesome. Every everybody she's worked, every teacher she's worked with, they're like, "Don't go into teaching." <laughs> <laughs> she wants to be a teacher. Yeah. She wants to be a teacher, and she's uh, yeah, she's gotten hosed in her lacrosse season here and graduation and all that. So yeah, her senior class is uh, yeah, there are all those kids all over all over the world are getting. Uh, yeah right
0: now so yeah, yeah. my son my, my youngest son's a senior this year too and uh same, same thing he's got nothing he can't can't do anything can't go anywhere Just, but yeah. Uh, yeah. it's it stinks well mike like i said best best of luck to you the rest of the way uh, you know hopefully get back out there soon like every, like all of us do um and uh hopefully we'll catch you down the road at some point we really awesome. appreciate thanks your time thanks for
1: having me it was a pleasure i enjoyed it
0: all right thanks nice mike appreciate oh. it
1: thanks that ladies and gentlemen Again, number twenty two in your program, number one in the hearts and minds of Philadelphia Flyers fans everywhere, Mike Knubel. Anthony, I don't usually fanboy out all that much, but Mike Knubel was one of my favorite players uh during his tenure here in well, thank town. You guys. And, and I appreciate it. I always <laughs> think of, you know, the guy that uh is always willing to go down in the crease and get the dirty goal. And...
2: Scratch and claw, scratch and claw. Scratch That's and the only claw. way you do it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, guys. Well, thanks. Right. If
2: you ever need me again, you got my email and my phone number and stuff. It's Feel free to reach out for
1: anything, okay?
0: Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Appreciate Mike. it, my all friend. Right. See you guys all right. Take you care. care. Thank
1: you. Thanks. How about that? Come on.
0: It's good stuff, Russ. Come on.
1: It was come good stuff. On. Mike Knoebel, come on! Yeah, it's good. I was happy. I got to tell you. So, like I said, I don't like to fanboy all that much when we talk to a player. We had Scott Hartnell on – uh, middle of last year, that was a that was a thrill. Mike Knubel is is right up there. Uh, I was broken hearted when the team had to let him move on. I was really, legitimately torn up as a fan.
0: When, well, it's it's, it's good and, to and hear it's, him it's the business tell the of, story. Yeah, and it's yeah. the
1: business of of hockey of professional sports. But God, I you you just have to say that conversation we just had with him, right? We reach out, we we make the contact, and we typically say twenty minutes is is what we're requesting. And I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's a credit to the guys doing the interviewing from time to time, but the twenty minutes is almost never just twenty minutes. And Mike talked to us for it was fifty seven minutes we had yeah. him on the show. The guy can talk, which God, it was always I, a great I, interview. There I was think. never the, doubt. I think we're looking at a situation now. I I didn't want to put him in a bad spot here, but the organization he's working for is say it again, the Detroit Red Wings who stink. (laughs) But if Mike Knubel does a good job as an AHL coach, you have to think that there's the possibility he can make his way up there. But you do think about the travel and, and based on the age of his kids and everything, Maybe it's not as attractive of an option as broadcasting might be at some point. I wouldn't be surprised to see once his kids are through college, you know, maybe we see him take a a, a camera role of sorts.
0: Well, it was interesting that he that what he said there, he kind of threw in, he kind of hinted at the fact that there's a possibility that, you know, in the in the future, he might do something more than what he's doing now. You know, I mean, yep. uh, you know, he mentioned that his youngest son is 15. Um, so he's got probably he probably wants to see him off to college. So you're probably looking at three more years, at which point he'll turn 50, yep. um, which is still plenty young enough to do either coaching or broadcasting. Yep. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, he was offered jobs here. Yeah. Like Homer wanted to bring him back at forty one. <laughs> like Homer wanted to come play again. Yeah, um, that's how much they liked him and respect him. And I, I was, I was really pleased to hear that story about him still working out and going in and talking to Homer. And you know that they really did, there was mutual interest there. That it wasn't just oh we're moving on. Like they, I think they recognized the value of the person. Yeah. Um. Because more so than the I mean, you know, he was be- like lobby. Like you said, lobby was playing him two and four. Three and five kind of thing, not every game, but to have a a guy like that in the locker room who was so well respected and so liked who can still produce a little bit and play that third line role for your fourth line role for you, um, even at age 41 would have been good for that team. Um, so the fact that they that they noticed that and the fact then that after he retired, Ron Hextall offers him a job in player development because they think that here's a guy who can really help young guys figure it out because of what he went through. Like He talked about it like, yeah, he had a grind at every level to make it right. Um, so so to have to hear all that, it, it makes me feel better now, you know, 10, yeah. t- ten yeah. years yeah. later, yeah, 11 I years mean, later.
1: No, you're right, because like I said, I, I remember being so torn up because I thought like. All right. We, we knew that he probably wasn't going to be a 55 point producer when he moved on, although I think it was the next year with Washington. He had 54 points and then yeah. it started to tail off. But there is that law of diminishing returns at some point. So it wasn't like we could all sit back even at the time and say, you know, we're giving up a guy who has 60 point potential for the next three years. Like we all kind of knew that it was it was going to start to die down. But it felt like a a crappy way to let it happen, and then you compound that with the fact that he went to the Capitals, right? And and even then, I never held it against him, and it was weird because I was like, man, like I I'm still gonna cheer for my Kanouba, right? Like, cause I felt like the Flyers screwed him. I did, and now it is nice to know that, you know, Homer wanted to have him back. It, I thought it was really cool. He said Hextall wanted to bring him back, uh, for player development. That's awesome because. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that you reported in the aftermath of Ron Hextall being let go was this idea of the shrinking circle around him. And it felt like even guys that, that there was a, a pre-existing relationship with from his playing days or for whatever within the Flyers organization, that that circle kept shrinking. So the idea that, all right, Mike Knubel was still part of the extended Flyers family, but they clearly never played together. There's something about this guy that Ron Hextall saw. And regardless of if you thought Ron Hextall took the, the right methodology or employed the correct process or the, the correct methodology of tearing down in a sense and building up. The fact remains that if nothing else under Hextall, there was a, a very solid track record with him and uh, Chris Pryor of identifying talent, especially identifying and developing young talent. So there's like a small part of me that thinks if you're the Flyers and you've listened to this interview and we know that many of you in the organization do listen. Hi. Uh, you've got to think that there's got to be the the idea that maybe Mike Knubel's a guy that the Flyers do need to keep in mind in any kind of capacity. Right. Yeah. You
0: know, it'd be interesting They don't really do it as much in hockey anymore, but they used to do something similar to what the Phillies do, where they have those roving instructors come in for spring training, right? They used to have something similar where they would bring guys in, you know, to kind of work with players during summer camp, whether it's the young, working with the young kids, Mm -hmm. you know, the prospects and prospect camp, or even, you know, at the start, right before the start of training camp, just have like a veteran guy come in and hang out with them and skate and talk and whatever. Um, something like that would be cool. Like, I think that you know, just bring Mike in for you know a week or a week and a half or something, and say, hey, you know, here, here's a little, here's some tricks I can teach you. Because one of the things, you know, and I was going to mention it, we talked about, you know, a lot of times the puck finds you. There's not, I, I don't know of a player that I've watched play hockey that the puck f- found more than Mike Canoo. Yeah, I would say that ninety percent of his goals came in front of the net, and that's w- not within net.
1: what's that i said and that's not just luck that's no that's that's the intricacies of of knowing your body positioning and knowing the way that the puck is going to carry him off the boards right yeah who or carry him off of bodies for that matter so okay let's play a game mike knuble comes in as one of these roving advisors right and he gets to work with one player to learn every nuance to his game of being even a net front presence on the, the power play. Who's the one guy you want working with Mike Knubel? Because I have one, but I'm wondering who you think.
0: Well, all right, go ahead. You go first. I think TK them.
1: because it's their, their games do not line up perfectly, but you see the way that Elaine Vigneault, you know, deployed, TK in spots throughout the season as that kind of net front guy on the power play. I kind of think of, all right, we already have a Travis Konechny that exponentially improved year over year. You line him up with somebody who can maybe break down some film on his game and say, you know what? Make these couple of tweaks. Now, all of a sudden, maybe you're starting to see a Travis Konechny that's poaching even more goals. I mean, we're not going to get down on. Our good friend TK, friend of the show, who we enjoyed having on our show for an extended interview earlier. Go check it out in the archives. But there were a few sitters that were out there this year that TK failed to deposit. I wonder, potentially, you know, if if he gets to work with a guy like Mike Knubel, does he pick something up? Does he become an even more lethal option up front? Your thoughts
0: That's fine. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little outside the box with my answer.
1: Let me guess. Well, hold on. Give me a clue. Uh,
0: It's a player not on the current NHL roster. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
1: Um, a center.
0: Nope.
1: A winger. Yeah. What winger? Well, not Kasha. Uh, no. I think Kanubal would probably kill Vorobiev. Anyone would. Um, wow. I'm
0: Isaac Ratcliffe.
1: Ooh, the big body. Get that man. Ooh, I like it. I do. You like it? I do. You like that because thought I was process? Thinking, like big, big body. You would immediately go probably to JVR. You know what? Okay. Let's play the, the oh, really JVR's fun, but JVR is 31 years old, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If, if you really wanted to play the fantasy game of healthy, Nolan Patrick, who was in theory supposed to play that JVR role on right. the power play. Nolan Patrick would be a, a, in theory, if healthy, would be a great guy to spend that kind of knowledge on because he's so young. Okay, but I like the Isaac Ratcliffe idea. Do you have a, a little, a little reason why?
0: Well, I mean, you know, again, here's a guy that if you're if you're looking at the potential for, uh, you know, a new lineup next year, you're, if you might add to the lineup, I mean, I think he's got a chance uh, of of being a guy who could be there, and you know, give it a shot in the summer. Let him work with a guy like Canubal, see if it improves his his uh, net awareness, net front awareness, not just for power play, just five on five play as well. And see if all of a sudden you, you find that there's a diamond in the rough there for for a physical power forward, you know, who's gets into those greasy, dirty areas of the ice and is able to, you know, pot a bunch of goals for you. Um, and that that's what made Knubel so great, is that you know, yeah, you want to play with a guy like Peter Forsberg and Joe Thornton because they're going to they're elite, they have elite vision and can get you the puck, right? Well, but it's still at the same point you have to know how to position your body in such a way. That you're going to tip, you you know, do the tip drill, or that you're going to be able to corral the puck, shed a defenseman, mm-hmm. and beat a goalie. Find it whether it's slide at it five hole or lift it over his pad or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of little things about that part of the game that I think a lot of young players don't quite get until they're in the league because. It's again, it's physic- the, 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 the You're playing against men in professional hockey. And when you're a young player and you got some size and you're able to bounce, you know, 16 year olds off you pretty easily, right? It's not a big deal to score goals in that case. But when all of a sudden you got like a, a, a 6'4, 230 pound muscle bound freak pounding on you, slashing away at your lower back with his stick and stuff like that. And, you know, are you going to be willing to go in there and do it? Well, there's got to be a certain way to do it. Right. Yep. And, and I think that if you watch the way Mike Canuble played as a player and you look at that and say, well, who could, who could in this organization could potentially do that? I think that the guy that's young, I mean, obviously JVR, but he's older, but the younger player that we could potentially fit that mold is Isaac Ratcliffe. And I think that would be, and he's a guy that you want to see progress. You want to see him grow into an NHL caliber player. And if so, what does he need to do to take those next steps? I'm sure it's not just that. I'm sure there's there's a lot of having to do with his skating and speed because a guy of his size, you need to be able to play at the speed of the of the game in the NHL. But at the same time, if you can refine and fine-tune other parts of his game in the process and, and make him a more well-rounded player, I think that then that that's a benefit for the team.
1: I like your thought process on this one. I, I like to—I like to deride your thoughts from time to time, but this one's actually good. I'm going to give you credit. <laughs> Thank you. I pre- I appreciate I've it. I've given you two compliments on the show tonight. That one and the getup. So the people who are listening over on the podcast feed, uh, who didn't get to watch this live, don't forget in the uh, the podcast feed over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, uh, we do link now to the video uh, over on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash snow the goalie. We're also available on Twitter at snow the goalie. Anyway, uh, the look that you've got on tonight, I think I'm going to go back and screenshot every getup that you've worn so far. I have to say, I think tonight's my favorite. I mean, I did like the mullet. Don't get me wrong. I thought the mullet was a funny look, delightful, took us back to your childhood in the thirties, but, uh, <laughs> This one, I really do like. I think the goatee is a good look. I genuinely do. I think that you should keep that. The Mutt Chops, now, I didn't really notice them all that much because they're getting lost in the white headphones, but uh, I, I think the goatee is a good look. I do. I do. So let me
0: tell you, let me tell you the reason I, I did this. So I had, I was growing a beard for coronavirus, right? I had not shaved since the last Flyers game. Mm-hmm. That was the last time until today. That yeah. was the last time I had shaved. So it was a pretty pretty full beard as a matter of fact here Ross I, I don't know if you can do anything with this but what I can do is I actually took a picture.
1: Buddy, uh, you drop that to me in Slack and I will have it on the feed in seconds. <laughs>
0: so um so yeah, so I had this this beard going and I'm going to here I'll I'll do it right now. I'll send it over to you. But um I had this beard going and found out from my day job that um we are switching with meetings with the client. I don't care about our internal meetings. I I was had the beard for the internal meetings, but the clients were switching um, from uh, a, a phone meeting to a uh, Zoom meeting starting um, uh, starting Thursday. So th- okay. you know, two days from now. So I'm like, you know what? I got. I'm going to have to shave the beard. Yeah. Why don't I go with something goofy or fun mm-hmm. for the for the uh, podcast tonight so this mm-hmm. is what i came up with it was kind of you know designer goatee and then uh, let the mutton chops out a little bit I, I i cut the mutton chops right where the gray started to go into brown i'm pulling right? it up right I,
1: now I it's a, oh god hold on a second right now it's just your hairline hold on a second you know, when I do the images, I have to shrink them down and I didn't have time to pre-crop this one. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This resolution's amazing. Look at that. San Filippo <laughs> hairline still trying to shrink it. Good God. All right. There we go. All right. Let's yeah. see. You know, somebody a few weeks ago said that there was a little look of uh, George the Animal Steel. And uh, wow. That, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I might even just zoom on the beard itself. There we go. Oh, there we go. Where yeah. That That face. I might just block you out the rest of the show and just have that face over there. That's fine. (laughs) Some would argue that's a market improvement. I don't know. Yeah. So that's,
0: that's what, um, that's what was going. And I was going to let it go until we were allowed back out. So who, I mean, I could have gotten really, it could have gone real thick. Right. But I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't look like that with meetings with a client, you know, especially considering the clients a a pretty major, major client in this country oh yeah they're gonna
1: come on the podcast all right
0: let's go (laughs) they should sponsor us they spend more millions upon millions of dollars in marketing stuff they should they should certainly i can't conflict of interest
1: but i could
0: but i'm affiliated with it no i could there's no way yeah whatever there's no way yeah, I mean, they pay my company for me to do work and then to listen, se- do something separate. You know, that listen, would be buddy, not
1: like if Shake Shack and Roots Chris and all these other places can go and apply <laughs> for the PPP loans and then give them back when the public outcry is ridiculous, what's to stop you? Didn't a bunch of senators sell off their stocks months ago when they got the COVID uh, uh, briefings? They're still in uh, in Congress. Who cares? You
0: know? That's right. Hey, listen, we have one flyer's kind of newsy thing that kind of came out um in the past week that i think we need to quickly discuss and then we can do the you know five-star review and head on out
1: we have to do a thing because in the interest of fairness we have to admit when we get something wrong although i shouldn't say we
0: i have nothing to do with this it's all me
1: it's It's all all anthony and we have to issue a public apology to a guy that we both like and respect and think does a great job dave isaac from over at the uh the courier post anthony i'm gonna let you take this one away go ahead
0: yeah absolutely so at the end of the show um and i think we're gonna plug this into the podcast russ is gonna take the time and plug this into the podcast so it'll lead into uh as a kind of a um hey here's a warning about something that's about to be said is not correct um but i attributed a story to dave isaac um when we recorded the podcast um last night and i wanted to give him full props for this story. Cause it was kind of a, it was interesting to me uh, turned out where I was saying that Dave had reported that um, Nolan Patrick may not be resuming his career. Um, what had happened was Dave wrote a mailbag and in the mailbag, the question um, referred to Oscar Lindblom and Nolan Patrick. And the first sentence that he wrote was referring to Oscar Lindblom, not Nolan Patrick Potentially not being able to resume his career, and so I I misinterpreted the sentence that he wrote, thinking that he was talking about Nolan Patrick and not about Oscar Lindblom. So I know that caused a little bit of um, you know questioning in the uh, Twitter sphere today. People were asking him about a bag. and in the mailbag, the question um, referred to Oscar Lindblom and Nolan Patrick, and the first sentence that he wrote was referring to Oscar Lindblom, not Nolan Patrick, potentially not being able to resume his career. And so I I misinterpreted the sentence that he wrote, thinking that he was talking about Nolan Patrick and not about Oscar Lindblom. So I know that caused a little bit of, um, you know, Questioning in the uh, Twitter sphere today, people were asking him about it. People were looking for the story, um, and I, I reached out to Dave. Dave has not gotten back to me yet, but um, I wanted to make sure um, because I, I will always own up to a mistake. That you know that we corrected it as soon as possible. That I came out and said this was not what dave wrote dave did not say nolan patrick has not may not resume his career he said oscar lindblom yeah so i'm gonna his i'm gonna
1: pull it up over on the uh, the live feed for those who are watching right now but uh let's see oh i have it in an incognito browser it's causing me an issue hold on a second um but the 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 quote itself i mean i i get it but it was a it was done by a a blog that I, I don't know how. they – Well, I'm
0: gonna I'm, I'm gonna go further. I'll go a little further while you're doing that. While you, you I have it. Technical.
1: I have it right here. I think.
0: Okay. So what end up happening is is that there are, you know, I read anything and everything that's flyers related, right? So um, I read Dave's mailbag, and then I also happened to come across um, a, a, an aggregate flyers aggregating blog where they took. Dave's quote from the mailbag, not quote, but Dave's writing from the mailbag, and put it into a story, and also there um, misused the quote as well, yeah. so um, here it is. misused the writing as well to kind of indicate that it was also Nolan Patrick. So, in the in in the process of of reading one and then reading the other, it must have set in my mind that we were talking about nolan patrick here and we weren't and dave was not dave was talking about oscar lindblom um so here it is
1: this was a question in the mailbag and it it was asked about both lindblom and patrick and this was the quote right here particularly with lindblom it's going to be a tricky situation the flyers ruled out the 1920 season for him but nothing said about the future from what i understand it's not a slam dunk that he'll be able to resume his career if that's Mm -hmm. the case the flyers may have to come to some kind of gentleman's agreement with him because even if they presented him with a qualifying offer, which would be $971,250 for him, he would count against the salary cap if he signed. So there's that. And then this blog, Let's letsgoflyers.net, went and took that quote that was about Oscar Lindblom, Lindblom yep. and made a whole post out of it called Nolan Patrick's NHL career over. And right, which is, it, which and was it,
0: on Facebook, which is yeah. where I saw that one. And I saw, so, I saw, I read Dave's blog on through Twitter, yeah. um, or Dave's uh, mailbag through Twitter, because um, he had it was it was out there that way. And then I flipped over to Facebook and I saw this, and I read it, and I was like, "Oh, I must have not missed. I must have missed what he wrote about Patrick." Yeah. And then I was just putting two and two together at that point, and it turns so, out that it was a it was a perfect storm of so let's go flyers.net
1: said when answering questions in his latest mailbag dave isaac of courier post revealed there are serious questions regarding patrick's playing career or playing future from understanding nolan patrick being able to resume his playing career is not a slam dunk patrick is a pending restricted free agent that will require a nine hundred seventy one dollar qualifying offer he hasn't been cleared for contact yet so there are a few things and this is why Fake news is such a a big issue. Not only did they misattribute the quote and attribute it to the wrong player, but they also didn't do a proper citation or quoting. They mixed a bunch of different parts together and made a post out of it. So, anyway, that's what happened. So, you're watching this live, you probably listened already or you watched last night. This is the correction, the retraction, and we're going to go back and edit in the podcast this little part so those who might not have listened to the show last night that we did with mike knuble will uh you know have clarity
0: yeah and i wanted to i wanted to just you know be perfectly clear that um this is you know i wanted to apologize to dave because dave does great work and you know he's uh very very accurate with what he does and so i didn't want anything to be out there that you know was being misattributed to him, even though it, it, it is his words. It's just not correct. They were, they were his words. were talking about a completely different player than how I interpreted it after reading two different things. So uh, I apologize to Dave and want to make sure that, uh, that he sees that and understands that and that we are fixing it and correcting it. So anyway, there you go. that was, uh, that was it.
1: Anyway, go listen to the show last night with uh, Mike Knubel. And it was a it was a great time. I think we're going to have him on, on again in the future. So uh, anyway, that is it. That is all. I'm looking to see somebody uh, had a comment here. Uh... <laughs> Commenting on what now? Oh, On the on the live stream. Sorry, looking for snow, the goalie, not 70s cop drama. I guess it was my <laughs> corn stash. And you still rocking the goatee.
0: Yeah, it's, which will be gone later today. So because oh. I have the meeting tomorrow that I have to be clean shaven. All right, that's that.
1: Anyway, this is the uh the correction, the retraction, a big apology out there. It was all Anthony's fault.
0: Okay. Um I don't know if you saw but Dave Isaac wrote a story in the Courier Post. Uh I'm not sure if it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Might have been the day before, but I think it was yesterday. Um about
1: Nolan Patrick maybe never playing hockey again. I didn't see this. I like Dave, by the way. Dave does a really nice job. I did yeah. not see this. Go on. So I thought it was an interesting thing. We already talked about the fact that
0: he brought up that there that the migraine situation is genetic, mm-hmm. and that there are other family members who have dealt with this. And we talked uh, on previous press row shows. I may have brought it up on the podcast. I think I did uh, way back when. Um, might have even been before this whole thing happened. Talking about it like last year when there was you know a lack of motivation so to speak Um, and talked about his dad and how his dad's NHL career kind of fizzled quickly because of, of similar unknown ailments that kind of kept bothering him. Um, And it it makes you wonder if that's kind of where this is heading. Um, It was good reporting by Dave. I mean, he didn't say definitely, you know, he did say that, you know, there's still a chance and everything, but here's a guy that hasn't played a hockey game in over a year Mm -hmm. Um, who still has not been cleared to play?
1: Who Russ Joy yeah. said would not suit up for a game this year.
0: You did, you did. Now, of course, you didn't. You didn't know coronavirus was going to happen. Doesn't
1: matter. They can come back. They can play. They could do the postseason. He's not playing this season.
0: Well, you may never play again. Is with no, Dave Brode? No.
1: Listen, I'm just you saying. Know? I was right. I will bask in the glory of being right. Okay. Even Thank though. It would be better for the Flyers long-term if the former number two overall pick played and played significant minutes and were a legitimate contributor and didn't have a four-letter word hovering over his head that a lot of people have say, been throwing around.
0: I will say this. If it does amount to that, he never doesn't play again mm-hmm. or at least doesn't play again for the Flyers. Because mm-hmm. he's, you know, his contract, is, that's a situation, right? It's yep. coming up. Um, we'll dive into just how spirited the debate was internally over whether or not they should have drafted him.
1: That's a, that'll be a good show
0: because I'm telling, I'm telling you that I, I have firsthand knowledge that not everybody in that war room was on board with selecting Nolan Patrick.
1: I think we talked about this on the last press row show of the yeah, year. but
0: we didn't really dive We didn't into dive it, into right? it, but yeah. there's a
1: lot of meat on that bone. there is. there's a lot. I think it'll actually upset a lot of the hextall people. If it we may that conversation it I may think it will it may it will no it not not it may it will it'll upset <laughs> it'll it'll make some people question uh whether or not I think it'll make them it will go down. As the Jaleel Okafor selection for Sam Hinkie, it'll be that kind of level. If Nolan Patrick doesn't play another game in his career
0: for the Flyers, for the Flyers, he could, he could no,
1: play for someone no, else. Yeah, I think it depends too, because you know somehow they get this thing under under control for another team, then it's going to look really bad, and then it changes the context. But if let's just say he doesn't play meaningful minutes of any kind for any team, including the Flyers. It'll be the Jaleel Okafor pick, and it will be the the one black mark, if you wanted to say from a player personnel decision uh, standpoint, on Hextall's tenure. And the thing that differentiates that from, say, the Okafor pick for Sam Hankey was the idea that the Okafor pick came from ownership and from other people in the organization versus what happened with Nolan Patrick and Ron Hextall. So we might have to have that conversation. We might have to.
0: We'll save it. We'll We'll save save it. it.
1: Yeah. So anyway, Ross, I think we have a new five-star review. Buddy, we do. And listen, I tell people this all the time, but it's all about making you smile. I smile anyway. My last name is Joy, for God's sake. If I don't smile, people are worried that something's wrong. We're under immense pressure in the Joy household right now. Both of us working from home. Two small children running around. My wife's eight and a half months pregnant. Could go at any time. Who knows? It's fine. I'm still smiling. You can make me smile. You can make Anthony smile. We have a new five-star review. And this is what it's all about. I think this is the one that you're referring to from the 13th. From the Iron Side, Yes. Casual Convo slash professional. Uh, and, oh, I think it says professional insight. It doesn't pop the whole thing up here, but okay. I've been listening to the podcast for a while now, and it's easily my Flyers or my favorite Flyers podcast because it's the only one. From the moment the show goes, uh, from the show, oh, I'm starting this over. This is so bad, and it's such a good review. I'm not even editing it out. People need to know that it is possible for somebody even as amazing as you and I to make a mistake. This five star review is from the underscore Ironside casual convo slash professional insight. I've been listening to the podcast for a while now, and it's easily my favorite Flyers podcast because it's the only one from the moment the show opens to the time it closes. You get all the information you wanted to know and even some you didn't know you wanted. It all feels like a casual conversation between buds while providing professional and behind-the-scenes insight that has really helped myself get to know the team even better. Honestly, the best parts of the show might be when there is a disagreement and debate because it feels even more real than just some broadcaster talking head types reading off a copy. As an added positive, if you follow them on Facebook, insert shameless plug here, they actually take the time to engage. All in all, I love the show. Keep up the good work. Easy, five star. Thank you, the underscore Ironside.
0: Yes, thank you. That was a great, that was one of our, look, all of our five star reviews are awesome, right? We love even them the all. one, Even the ones that are like one sentence are mm-hmm. are great. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably the most in-depth mm-hmm like really dive into what we are and what we do and what we try to do each each episode. Um, and so I really do appreciate that, um, whoever that person I like, is.
1: Listen, I like the nod to the Only Flyers podcast. I didn't even get to lead the show with that today because Mike Knubel was so excited to get on the show with us. He popped on early. We didn't expect yeah. it. And at that point, it's like he just got to roll, you know?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So anything else you wanted to say to the people before we head out?
0: No, dude, I mean, did we have any? I mean, any comments? Anybody have anything? Dude, this is an hour and a half podcast
1: we're doing. I have to say, I'm subscribed to what 35 podcasts, and I have to say that sometimes you see that like 90 minute show, and you're like, ah, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, because it is, after all, the only Flyers podcast. We're just filling that void, that orange and black void. So yeah. the the only uh, comment that came in during the Knubel interview that I didn't have a chance to ask that wouldn't have come up organically because there were a few, and I think everybody else's was effectively answered by Knubel in just some of his answers. Justin Kent mentioned that he has an autographed puck uh, from Knubel as a cap and asks if he'll trade it for a Flyers one. We might have to reach out to, to Mike Knubel and find out if he'd... Uh, be willing to do so. Um, Trevor Harris over on Facebook said that they should put Knubel in the booth or between the benches, and also proposes Knubel and Amani as a uh, as two guest training camp instructors, a great American duo. Yeah,
0: well, most people don't realize Knubel is actually a dual citizen. He was actually born in Toronto. His parents were from Latvia um, and were in Toronto, um, and that's where he was born. But then they quickly moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I'm not sure how young he was, but I think he was really – I know he was schooled and raised all through. His entire schooling was in Michigan. So mm-hmm. he was really young when he came to the United States, but he's got a dual citizenship. So he's both uh, both Canadian and American,
1: although uh, I
0: think he he identifies as an American more so.
1: There was also a a comment over here, Morgan Frost or Joel Farabee for some Knubel instruction.
0: Well, uh, Farabee was the guy I was going to go with if I went <laughs> with a current player. I mean, I, I was sitting there thinking in my head and I was like, all right, I'm going to say Faraby." And then as you were talking about uh, Konechny, I thought to myself, you know what it would be more interesting to go with Isaac Ratcliffe. So that's like it. that was the direction I went in.
1: Uh, Nick Mastroianni says uh, Nolan Patrick never playing again. Sad face.
0: Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. It's it. It is disappointing, um, but we'll see. We'll we'll see. Uh, still, still, there's nothing close on you know anything on that. So it's just it was just a, a good story written by Dave Isaac. Check it out if you uh, want to find him in the Courier Post. I would I would recommend it.
1: I think that's it. I think that's that is it. Russ, good stuff. And by the way, uh, we've already. This is fun. We can tell the people. Uh, we've already had a former flyer reach out to us with interest of coming on the show for next week. No, oh, yes, so we, we might, have, we might, we're not going to say the name yet. We'll kind of let that one, we'll let that one marinate a little bit for the, <laughs> for the listeners. Uh, but we will likely be joined next week by another former flyer. And look, we're trying to do the same thing every week. We want to make sure that we're getting people in who have great stories, who can kind of pull back the curtain on their time, wearing the orange and black. And uh, we're hoping that you're enjoying these shows. We had Brian Prop, Flyers Hall of Famer on last week. If you missed the show, go back in the archive, listen to that. If you're new to the show, we've, of course, had extended interviews with Flyers head coach Alain Vigneault, former GM Ron Hextall, uh, Travis Konechny, Jordan Wheel, Dale Weiss, the biggest suitcase to ever play the game, Mike McKenna, Scott Hartnell, Anthony, keep it going. Who else? Scott,
0: Scott Lawton.
1: We got Scott Lawton. Derek, Derek Grant.
0: Grant. Yeah, there's more. Joel Faraby a couple times. Joel
1: Faraby first repeat offender, repeat <laughs> guest. I don't know. Yeah, twice. He's been on twice. JVR. We had JVR on the phone. That's right. When we were yeah. in the studio. Yep. Yeah. JVR.
0: Um, so yeah, we've had a we've had a good number. Matt Niskanen.
1: Matt Niskanen. Good interview, by the way. Go back and listen to that. Really one good. Really it good interview. on YouTube. Because uh, yeah. There was some really good insight in there, and uh, yeah. yeah,
0: it was yeah. funny. I made I made my younger son uh, watch Slapshot for the first time the other night, and I t- was telling the story about uh, Matt Niskanen and um, the Hansons and right. how they're from the same same hometown in yep. Minnesota. So, yeah, it's good stuff.
1: I haven't tried to watch Slapshot again since I watched the first uh, sixteen minutes. I'll go back to it at some point you're pathetic so i i think i've decided though i think i'm just i think i'm just an ageist or something like i think movies made before a certain time i just have a hard time getting into i don't know why i don't know if this is like is it like that for you at all I know I joke about you know our age, dis, you know disparity. Well, but like let me do, say this. Do, do you have like I, no, it's not, is, there, it's... is there like a cutoff for you from like before childhood or whatever that the the film <sighs> techniques are different and the filters are different and the quality is different? Like, yeah, do you have a struggle? I do,
0: I do have a problem. I will say this, and there are movies from before I was born that I like and and I, I can watch repeatedly, um, but I do I, I agree with you in the sense that there are I didn't like the way that they would try and rush through sh- through scenes with certain actors like they didn't really focus on coaching the acting and and make sure they got it they were more concerned with does it look good okay yeah we'll just trust that the actors are okay and, and like they would so i really kind of felt like you know whereas now i think that they make actors do the same scene over and over and over and over again maybe f- 50 60 times until they get it right mm-hmm. um back in the olden days i think they shot it a couple times like if it depends on how, how how however long it took to get the the visual right on the film so you maybe once twice three times at most and you could tell because it would blow through the the script or it would be a little bit uneven dialogue or whatever and yeah and that bothered me with some older films that go back into the 50s and in 60s um But yeah, I mean, but there are some, I mean, there are some classics that I, I can watch from before I was born and I have no problem with. I'm not biased against it. I I just don't seek it out as often. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Fair enough?
1: Um, Yeah. I I just have a hard time. Slapshot was fine. There were, I think the funniest (laughs) scene that I saw in, in Slapshot was the first one.
0: Well, you got to wait. You got to wait till, till if you only watch 16 minutes, you didn't even get to the Hanson brothers.
1: No, I I got to when they they first got there with the uh, the soda machine. That part was funny,
0: but I thought you did you, see, did you I, see them did you see them go to their hotel? Maybe I don't
1: know. I'll, no, I'll, you didn't. You would know. I'll you would know what they took out point. of their suitcases in the hotel. Maybe. Oh no, they had the toys. Right? They they pulled out like all the the kids' toys, <laughs> all the kids' toys. The yes. like, yeah. but you know,
0: you, but it gets better after that. There's even more. All right, yeah, I'll it, go back. Yeah, and you'll then. see. I'll try to. Watch hey, you gotta it's watch
1: just, it. Uh, I like Anyway, Goon. I like Goon. It's fine. Um,
0: yeah, all right, well,
1: a big thank you to everyone, as always, for watching live, for listening on the podcast feed. Remember, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Google Podcasts, which are different, and iHeartRadio. We're available on all those platforms, wherever else you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly, at JoyOnBroad, at Snow the Goalie. Follow us over on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. Facebook.com? This... Yeah, dot com. I don't know. Listen, there's that small <laughs> echo in my headphones where I have to use it as a monitor and it goes through one program, in another, out another, in another. Uh, yeah, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. For Anthony, I'm Russ. A big thank you again to Mike Knubel. Follow him on Twitter at MikeKnubel22. And by the way, the hell with Luke Shen for not giving the man his number. We'll talk. Yeah, no, but to he had again. a good—he had a good reason. That was the end of the show, and you messed it up. What? He had a good reason no, for going with nine. Yeah. Okay. No. No. Mike had a good re. No. Mike had a good logic behind having to pick a different number, but Luke Shen can pound sand for not recognizing a real one, and that real one's name is Mike Knuble. That's all. Mike uh, you know, thanks again for being on the show. Luke Shen, I'm sure, is listening to this and now hates my guts, and I don't care. We won't have him on next week, but we are going to be joined by a former flyer next week. So, for Anthony, I'm Russ. We'll talk to you in a week.